Let your will be done. Let the promises of your word be true. Let them be seen as real in our lives, Lord. Father, we pray that this morning as we just walk again through a passage of your word, um, we pray that you would make our hearts sing to you, uh, and that you would let the amen sound from your people again. We love you. We thank you that we get to sing. We thank you that we get to worship. We thank you that we get to gather together um, and turn our eyes towards you. So have your way today, in Jesus' name, amen. You guys can have a seat. Good morning. If you got your Bibles, please grab them. Go to Ephesians chapter 5. Uh, for those of you who might not know, uh, we just here at Mercy Hill, we the last couple of years have been doing a Bible reading plan as a church. Uh, this year we're just reading one chapter a day, uh, or I'm sorry, one chapter a week, and just reading it every day. And then on Sunday mornings we get together and I unpack it a little bit more and, and we talk about it. As we've been going through the book of Ephesians, we've been taking like a, about a half chapter at a time. Roughly this past week we were in Ephesians chapter 5, uh, verses 1 through uh, 21, and that's, that's where we'll be this morning. Um, it's always the Spirit of God taking the Word of God, uh, and that's what, changes, that's what changes our hearts. It's the mingling of those two things together, um, nothing else. His Word is sufficient, and His Spirit is faithful to do that in us over and over again. Let me jump in and read this this morning, Ephesians chapter 5, starting in verse 1. Paul says, Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness or foolish talk or crude joking which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure, or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not become part partners with them. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light." For the fruit of the light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything, to God the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Would you just pray with me one more time? Father, as we look at your word, please open the eyes of our heart that we could see wonderful things from it. In Jesus' name, amen. 
So I just want to review real quickly kind of where we're at in this book. Um, there's a lot of details uh, in it. Ephesians is extremely juicy. I mean, just every, every sentence, every phrase uh, is just packed with, with truth and richness. Um, and so I just want to review very quickly is that, again, there's six chapters. The first three, uh, Paul is more focused on the indicatives, that is, what is true. And now in these last three chapters, four, five, and six, he's speaking more about what we must do. And the way that he, he frames what we must do is he comes back over and over again to this little phrase, walk, walk. Walk has been used throughout the book, um, uh, primarily here in the second half of the book, in the last three chapters. And I just want to show you those quickly. I know I pointed them out as we have went, but, but first of all, in Ephesians chapter 2, Okay, it says that at one time we were, if we, if we now know Christ, we were dead in our trespasses and sins in which we once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. In chapter 4, verse 1, as we looked at a few weeks ago, Paul says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called. So we're to not walk in, in darkness anymore, not following the enemy not following the course of this world, but we're now to walk in a manner that is worthy of the Lord. Um, last week, we looked at verse 17 uh, through 32 of chapter 4, and verse 17, it says, Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do, in the futility of their minds. And what Paul's talking about was how we're to walk in a holy manner. And then um, in chapter 5, where I just read today, I don't know if you notice it or not, but there's three times in this passage that walk is used. And so Paul is very helpful from a preaching perspective, and he kind of just gives us this ready-made three-point outline. And the three type of walks that he's going to talk about today are that we are to walk in love, we are to walk in light, and we are to walk in wisdom. But he's really hammering away at this idea of walking, of, 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 of moving. And I think that that idea of, of, uh, of walking is helpful because sometimes, you know, we use different phrases, but we mean the same thing, and sometimes people can get, get confused by them. So, for example, many times we'll use the little phrase following Jesus, or we'll use the word discipleship, okay? So when Jesus was here on this earth and we read about his life um, in the Gospels, is that he came and, and he was making disciples, and what was the first thing he said to the disciples? When he would call them, you know, follow me. And so in other words, you had to get up from where you were and you had to go where he was going. You had to walk, okay? You had to, you had to follow him in that way. And so it's really the same idea here is that Paul is just, he's giving us very practical guidance that is rooted in theological truth for real life discipleship. That's all he's talking about. That's, all the, that's what this means, okay? Practical guidance rooted in theological truth for real-life discipleship, that, we, that what we say we believe would be evidenced in our lives, in our walk. And just like when Jesus was here on the earth um, for those 33 years or so and three years of his public ministry, and the disciples followed him in the same way today, we're to be following him, but as we're going to look today, it's now by the Spirit, the spirit that he has left. He said he would not leave us as orphans, but that he was going to send his spirit. And so I just want to look at this uh, today. Again, I, guys, the, there, is, there is a very real difference between being a disciple or following Jesus or walking after him and cultural Christianity. Many people think that the most dangerous religion in the world is Islam or Buddhism or Hinduism I would argue that probably the most dangerous religion in the world is cultural Christianity. 
where we say one thing, but it has absolutely no impact on our lives. Jesus Christ came to change people. Yes, from the inside out, to be sure. From the inside out. But what happened inside needs to come out. Amen? That's what he came to do. And so, again, I think this is very helpful for us in in looking at some of the specifics of what it looks like to actually follow Jesus, to walk after him as his disciples. And so, again, Paul's kind of set it up, just kind of... There's, again, a lot in here, but just um, kind of the three points we're going to look at are how to walk in love, walking in light, and then walking in wisdom. So starting in verse 1, he says, Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and what? And walk in love. That love is supposed to be one of the things that marks our life as Christians. And he ties it in with being an imitator of God. Now that's a pretty tall order, amen? Being an imitator of God so he's not talking here in being an imitator of God in the sense of his, his essence, his glory, if you will, all that, that kind of makes him God. But in terms of our, our love for what is right and our hatred for what is evil, we are to be holy, we are to be set apart, and we are to, we are to be imitators of God in this way. And one of the things that's to set us apart, living a holy life isn't just not doing the bad thing, but it's also doing the good thing, is that we are to be lovers. We are to love in the way that God has loved us, and he, and he describes this, as, as, as you'll see here. What does love look like? And walk in love as what? He qualifies it, as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. Christ loved us by giving himself up for us. Now, I'm sure we know this, but don't, don't miss it either, is that the world has its own definition of love, amen? The world says that they are loving, They have a definition of love that they are operating by, but it is not the same definition that the Bible uses. Because when the Bible defines love, as with every other doctrine or every other truth that the Bible might be talking about, it always comes back to Jesus. And Paul does that here. Is that we are to love, but how? We are to love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. There is a sacrificial nature to this love that Paul is talking about. And so if there's no sacrifice involved... Um, in our supposed acts of love, then we have to question whether or not it's actually love. And, and again, Paul's going to tie in this, this, this way that we're to love with both sacrifice, but also with worship. Okay, And it's in the next line there in the second part of, of verse 2, where he says, we're to love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. It's sacrifice. But then he says, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Now, I've touched on this before, but Throughout the Old Testament, um, many of the sacrifices that the priests in the Old Testament would offer, they were acts of worship to God, and the Bible would say over and over again that these things were like a fragrant aroma, a fragrant sacrifice to God. And so like, for example, in Leviticus 1.9, it's giving very specific instructions about you know, the ways that the priests were to offer certain animals, and you're to take his legs and wash it with water, and the priest shall burn it on the altar, a burnt offering, a food offering with a pleasing aroma to the Lord. Now, it's not so much that that, that that animal that was being sacrificed necessarily like physically smelled good, but the point was is that that animal was a substitutionary sacrifice sacrifice, and died in the place of the sinner. That's always, that was kind of always the point in some way, shape, or form of these sacrifices, and that substitution was a fragrant offering. It's a way of God communicating to us that this was pleasing to him. And of course, the ultimate sacrifice that ultimately came was Jesus Christ, the perfect Lamb of God, offering the perfect sacrifice 
in our place, and that was pleasing, that was pleasing to God so that he could save us. He bore the wrath of God on our behalf. But in the same way that Christ gave himself up and was a fragrant offering, we are to give our lives up as a fragrant offering. Here's the deal. All of life is worship, folks. All of life is worship. We do not just worship when the worship team's up here on stage. That is one way that we worship. We get to worship through singing. We get to worship through singing. But all of life is worship. Um, in Romans 12, 1 and 2, uh, again, a very similar idea that Paul's communicating over there. He says, I, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. That is, we offer up our bodies. In other words, the way that we walk, the way that we live, as Paul was saying here, it is to be a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. And I think this is helpful because many times when God calls us to love somebody sacrificially, it's hard to do that, right? It's hard to love people that are hard to love sometimes. And we all have those people or those circumstances where it's, it's hard. But if we can view it as worship, that what I'm going to do here, when I'm going to lay down my life for whoever, that the way that I'm to do that is not just because, well, well thinking, well, well, they don't deserve it, or, 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 well, I've already been gracious enough to them. I'm to view the act, the sacrificial act that I'm about to do, as worship to God. And we should want, as disciples, every moment of our lives to be a fragrant aroma and a sacrifice to God. But as we do this, we're to constantly be living in light of the way that Christ gave himself up for us and the beautiful offering that his sacrifice was for us. And again, in verse 1, that he, he, he says we're to be imitators of God as beloved children. As beloved children. I, I, don't, I know my boys kind of look like me. Um, I think, like Rowan, for example, I, I think looks a little bit more like Hannah um, at times. But we were, we were at the Swiss Festival, um, well, a couple weeks ago, whenever the Swiss Festival was. We saw some friends down there, and they had not seen Rowan in a while. And... <laughs> And we were walking by them, and everybody was just laughing. And I was like, hey, that's real nice, guys. Thank you. Um, we weren't sure. Like, they were kind of laughing at us, and, I, and they were like, he looks just like you. He looks just like you. I don't, I don't know. I think he looks a little bit more like Hannah. But anyway, the idea here with us being children is that there should, like, loving in this way that Christ loved, it, it should be natural. Just like our kids look like us, or a combination of us. It should be, it should be natural. Um, if we've been loved in this way, then we should love others in this way. Okay? John Owen, I've uh, been reading one of his books lately. He was an old school good guy, as I like to call him. He was a Puritan. He wrote a book called Communion with God. Came across, across this wonderful little paragraph the other day. He said, as we come to the Father's love through Christ, so the Father's love comes to us through Christ. The light of the sun comes to us by its beams. By its beams we see the sun, and by its beams the sun touches us. Jesus Christ is the beam of his Father's love, and through him the Father's love reaches down and touches us. By Jesus Christ also, we see and experience and are led up to the Father's love. 
If we, as believers, would meditate on this truth more and live in the light of it, there would be great spiritual growth in our walk with God. All he's saying there is, if we would just live in light of the way Christ gave himself up for us and the sacrifice, the fragrant aroma that it was to God, the more that fragrant offering would come out of us and we would also lay down our lives. Now, this is very, very interesting, okay? Paul... His primary command here is that we would be imitators of God, that we would walk in love. But notice what Paul specifically contrasts this with. Verse 3, but, so there's a contrast coming, but sexual immorality and all impurity and covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among God's saints. And this is very interesting because as Paul's talking about being sacrificial, you might think that he would contrast it instead with being selfish, okay? But he's very specific in what he contrasts love with. He contrasts it with sexual immorality, and he's going to hit, he's going to beat this drum for a little while. He says, it must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. And then he says, let there be no filthiness or foolish talk or crude joking. And again, it's like, it's like sexual type jokes and crude sexual type talk. Verse 4, he says, they are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. And then he, he comes back around to it again, verse 5. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is an idolater. And again, what is idolatry? It's just misplaced worship. Okay? And that's a big clue, because remember I said that when he's talking about walking in love here, he ties it in with, being, with, with worship, with being a fragrant offering. And here he speaks of coveting, which is idolatry, and that is simply misplaced worship, that we're worshiping the wrong thing. End of verse 5, it has no, he, that person has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience. Now, this is why I think this is so interesting, is because Paul here, in commanding us to love as Christ loved, man, I'm telling you folks, we, we think that we're so much different than people 2,000 years ago, and we're not. It's just like I said a little bit ago, the world has a definition of love, and, and, and usually that definition of love is, is, is tied in with some sort of, it's not really love, it's like sexual lust of some sort. And what I think Paul is getting at here is that if you think that you can love people as Christ would have you love people, and at the same time be involved in some sort of sexual immorality, you're kidding yourself. And here's why. Because any sort of sexual um, act outside the realm of marriage, one man, one woman, it is not any sort of an act of love. It is an act of selfishness. And what it is doing is it is breeding in you a narcissism that is going to be really, really, really hard to kill. And as you are focused on self, so any sexual act outside the bounds of marriage as God intended it, one man, one woman, you are, you are taking. You are taking pleasure for yourself. And the more you feed that selfishness, through lust and through immorality, it is going to keep you from being a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God, offering your bodies up as Jesus did. Does that make sense? And we don't want this. We, no, I'm a loving person. But you've got this going on over here. It's a lie. 
It's a lie. And we have an entire culture, both inside and outside of the church, that is absolutely 100% narcissistic. Narcissistic means like you, we, we cannot stop thinking about self. And I think one of the reasons is, is because our culture is absolutely overrun with sexual immorality and impurity. And there is not a one of us in here, okay, just to be clear, there is not a one of us in here who, who, who has not experienced some sort of sexual brokenness or has not been influenced negatively by our sex-saturated culture that we live in. It is like the air we breathe. Amen? It's true. And as disciples of Jesus Christ, if we are to walk in love as disciples in the way that God calls us to, we have got to understand that we have got to constantly be putting this sin of immorality to death. And it's a massive one in our culture. And to be honest with you, like I, when I knew this passage was coming, there's so much to say here that I thought about just spending the entire message just on this and because, guys, we're just bombarded with it. But as Christians, why should we abstain or fight against the allure to give in to sexual immorality? The primary reason Paul gives is it's going to keep us from loving the way that Christ requires Don't think that it doesn't affect anybody else. You are not going to be able to love as God calls you to love if you are constantly partaking of those selfish acts on the side. It's an inhibitor to what, to what God wants to do. Again, very, very quickly, we, we have to move on here. Again, you can spend a lot of time on this. Right in the middle of there, end of verse 4, one of the ways that we fight sexual immorality and therefore also cultivate the ability to love as God requires is by being thankful. Verse 4, he says, these things are out of place, but instead let there be thankfulness. Do you use thankfulness as a tool, as a weapon to fight um, covetousness and immorality? Again, coveting is just wanting something else. And again, Paul ties it in with idolatry. This idea of thankfulness, God expresses his love for us out of the riches of his grace and we are to be a people that live out of deep thankfulness for those riches. And if we're constantly living out of the deep thankfulness for the riches of God's grace of what he's provided, then we don't have to covet. We don't have to go over some, after something else, whether it be another man or another woman or whatever. Because we're satisfied in who God is for us through Christ. Um, This is all about worship, guys. It's all about worship. Every moment of every day, the way that we love, the acts that we do, whether in public or in private, it's all about, it's all about worship. And the enemy wants to, he wants to keep us from it. That's about all the time I'll spend on that for now, but again, there's a lot more there. I would encourage you to continue to meditate upon that passage. Um, not only are we to walk in love, but we're to walk in light. Okay, so and again, he's he's coming back now, and, and these things these things overlap, and this idea of walking in love, walking in light, and walking in wisdom, they they kind of qualify themselves. So if you say that you're walking in love, but you're not walking in light, then you're not actually walking in love. If you say that you're walking in light, but you're not actually walking in wisdom, then you're not actually walking in light. Okay, um, all these things are to mark the Christian life. It's a walk of love, light. And wisdom. Now, he goes again from, from talking about immorality here 
but now he's going to come back, and I, I think he could talk about walking in love again, but he, he switches the metaphor a little bit, and now he says to walk in light, to walk in light, okay? So verse 7, he says, therefore, so in light of what I just said, do not be partners with them. Well, what did he just say? He said, because of immorality, again, not, not the only thing, but in this passage, it's the primary thing that Paul, Paul said, because of sexual immorality, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Sexual immorality kindles the wrath of God. I can't say it any plainer than that. So therefore, we want to flee from it. We do not want to be partners with people who do go after these things. We want to, we want to fight it. And again, as I always say, that little, that little phrase, I'm not talking about sinless perfection, but I am talking about a change in direction. That we're not walking after these things. It says, therefore, do not become partners with them, for at one time you were darkness. We talked about that again. I read that in chapter 2 there, those first couple of verses. One time we walked in that, in that way. We were darkness, but now... You are light in the Lord. So remember last week we talked about the way that the Bible talks about our new identity and our, and our walk. Is, is, it doesn't say do this in order to become this, but it says you are this, now act like this. So act like who you are. Who are you? You are light. You are children of God. You are children of his love. If you are light, if you are children of light, then act like light. Okay? Um, he says here, walk as children of of light. Again, the idea of children, it should be natural. There should be a sense that this comes naturally to us because the light is now in us. In John chapter 1, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God, He was in the beginning with God, all things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Jesus is the light. He is the true light. It goes on in John chapter 1 in verse 9, it says, the true light which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. But also in Matthew chapter 5, verse 14, Jesus said, you are the light of the world. Jesus is the true light, but if his light has shone upon us, then we also are light. In fact, this is what Paul says. Look at verses 13 and 14 here. He says, but when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible, for anything that becomes visible is light. What's he talking about? If Christ's light has shone on us, then we ourselves are to be light light to others. And Paul's whole push here in, in wanting us to see that we are to identify as children of light is that we have, guys, we, we have a job to do, is that light is given for a purpose. Light is given so that people can see. If you picked out your clothes this morning, if you went to your closet and you chose one shirt over another, you chose one pair of pants over another, or you stood in front of a mirror and you did your hair, you put your makeup on, or whatever, you probably didn't do those things in the dark, right? Why? Because it's not helpful. Or as Paul says here, it's unfruitful. He says, verse 9, for the fruit of the light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness. Why do we want to stay out of the darkness? Because it's not helpful. We run into stuff. My family laughs at me all the time because I stub my toe on all sorts of things. Um, now I tend to do that whether it's dark or light, but especially 
in the dark if I come shuffling downstairs early in the morning. So many examples of where darkness has made me fall. One time, we were toilet papering somebody. I'm not giving you permission to toilet paper somebody. But this was back before I was really following Jesus. But I, man, I was, I, this was way back in the day, and I was toilet papering somebody, and somebody came out of the basement of the house where we were toilet paper, and I took off running. I mean, took off running as fast as my little legs could carry me. And I ran right into their clothesline. And I mean, I hit it hard. Yeah, have you ever walked into something where you don't even need to be going that fast, but like you don't know that it's there until you hit it? You know, and I mean, I, but man, I was moving, I'm telling you. I was faster back then. And I hit this thing, and I ripped the entire clothesline down, and it, it like, so the, the term clotheslined, I know why they say that. Like it caught me, and my feet went flying, and whew, ripped the whole thing down, but it was dark. And there I went. I looked like a fool. I think I've told this story before, but now they're all coming back to me. One, t- <laughs> one, time, one time Hannah and I were riding snowmobile with some other people, and it was dark out, and it was snowing, it was at night, and the lights were going, and, and we were flying through a field, and she was, hanging, she was hanging on the back. And Now this one was a little trickier, although I think I would have seen it if it was light out, but we ran right into an electric fence. And once again, thankfully I had a scarf on, but it came up and it caught me right there, and the snowmobile kept going, and we flew off, Thankfully, Hannah broke my fall a little bit as I, uh, <laughs> so I went back. What a good, what a good wife. Um, but it was, but it was dark. It was dark, and we looked like fools, or I looked like a fool. Um, guys, we we got to stop walking in darkness. Okay, it's not fitting. It's not fitting. Now hear me, because I, I, I try to, I want to be clear on what the word commands, but at the same time, I don't want to create a culture where we have to pretend. All of us in here struggle with darkness. Amen? We do. But part of walking as children of light and overcoming the darkness is just simply being honest about it. Now I'm not saying that well, as long as we just confess it, and, oh yeah, I struggle with this, and then we just go on and we don't fight it. No. But if you think you can fight it by keeping it in the dark, that won't work. Darkness is unfruitful. You need to bring it into the light and then seek to walk in the light. And here's the deal, guys. We're all doing that together. It's not like, well, man, I just walk in the light all the time and I can't believe you struggle with darkness. We're, We're all in and out. But we want to aim for progressively walking more and more in the light. Why? Because our Father is light. Our perfect older brother, Jesus, is light. He's the true light, and he lives in us. And so as his children, it should be natural for us to live in the light. One more very quick story. Avery, can you throw that, can you throw that little picture up there, buddy? Or not really a picture, but whatever it is. The, just very quickly, the story of Samson and Delilah in the Old Testament. Again, there's so much imagery in the Old Testament. V- very quickly, just, but just so you can see this. The name Samson doesn't necessarily mean light, and the name Delilah doesn't necessarily mean darkness, but you can see the similarity. So in Hebrew, you read from right to left, okay? Um, From what I understand, it's a total nightmare to try to learn, but anyway. But you can see the word for Samson there, and you can see the word for son right below it, okay? There's just two more little letters on the end of Samson, but if you would read the word Samson, you would be reminded of the son. 
Delilah, okay, there's one letter before it, and you see below it is the word for night in Hebrew. So they're almost identical. They're just one letter off. And this is something that I think God wanted to communicate to us through the words. Again, in the Bible, names almost always mean something. They have, they have deep meaning, and it, it brings things into kind of living, living color. But if you know the story of Samson and Delilah, you would be reading this, and you'd be going, why is the sun, why is the light trying to have fellowship with the night, with darkness? If you know that story of Samson and Delilah, I think it's powerful in talking here, again, in kind of some of the same ideas with us being light and not walking in the darkness, is Samson, he he just kept toying with it. He was called to be a deliverer. He was called to be the sun. He was called to be the light to the nation in a very dark time in the nation of Israel's history. But he just kept toying with the night. And eventually he got himself a haircut and it didn't end up good. And I just, again, there's a lot that could be said there, but think about that story. Guys, quit toying with the night. Quit toying with darkness. If there's something that you're trying to hide, please bring it out into the light. Your father already knows about it. Jesus paid the price for it. He loves you. His grace is always sufficient. But don't walk. Don't walk in the darkness. So walk in love. We walk in light. And then lastly here, Paul's going to tell us to walk in wisdom. Okay? Let's pick it back up in verse 12, again overlapping here. He says, For it's shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret, but when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, Awake, O sleeper, and rise from the dead. Let Christ shine on you. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. So again, look carefully how you walk. How? Not in this way, not as unwise, but as wise. Walk in wisdom. Walk in wisdom. A couple quick things that Paul's going to say about what it looks like for us to walk in wisdom, just like he's explained a little bit about what it looks like to walk in love and to walk in light. Number one, walking in wisdom. The wise person understands that time is limited and that the days are evil. Okay? So the first thing he says here, walk not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time. Why? Because because the days are evil. Now, a couple things. We, we, guys, time is, is limited. We don't know when it's going to end. This past weekend at the men's retreat, we went through the book of Second Peter. Um, in the last chapter especially, Peter hammers away at the fact that one day Jesus Christ is going to come back. Even though people scoff at that and they mock that, it doesn't matter. One day our Savior will stand upon the earth. And just like they thought that he would never... He could never be risen from the dead, but he did in the same way. He's going to come back, even though they think that's never going to happen. He will stand upon the earth, and he will make all things right. Time is ending in that sense, but also in our own lives. We do not know how much time we have. And because of that, we are to prioritize the things that the Lord wants us to prioritize. And he says, because the days are evil. We, we guys, we, we love... We love to numb ourselves. I don't know if I can, I want to say this word, I'm probably not going to say it right, anesthetize, anesthetize ourselves, do you know what I'm saying? Like, anesthesia, you know what I mean, I I shouldn't have went for it, but anyway, I did. 
We, but like we, we, we just, that's, that's what we do with, with, with our money, with binge watching Netflix, um, entertainment, sports, let alone the really destructive things like drugs and alcohol, stuff like that. Like it just, we just want to numb ourselves to keep ourselves from the reality. And I'm sorry, this is the reality. Folks, the days are evil. The days are evil. It is not a teddy bear world. It is darkness, and Jesus calls us to live as light. And you lying to yourself, just saying, everything's going to always be okay, that, that doesn't change it. He calls us to stand as light in the midst of darkness. And here, this is the way the wise live. Time is limited, and the days are evil. We need to be about our Father's business. He's got stuff that he wants to get done. Through who? Through his people, through his body. As we've been talking over and over again in this book. So he says, look carefully how you walk not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. And then he says this, therefore do not be foolish. This is so, this is so awesome. Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. So he keeps going negative, positive, negative, positive. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. But be filled with the Spirit. If time is limited and the days are evil, what is the most important thing, what is the wisest thing that you could do every single day? Here's what it is. Seek to be filled with the Spirit of God. There is nothing wiser that you could possibly do than to seek to live moment by moment, surrendered to the Spirit of God. Now, he, look at the imagery here. Again, he wants us, whenever Paul gives, uh, brings some sort of imagery or metaphor to mind, he wants us to meditate upon it. He says, don't get drunk with wine. So when somebody gets a DUI, what is that? They're driving under the influence, right? Under the influence of alcohol. That's not safe. Paul says, we're not to be under the influence of alcohol. That's going to lead to debauchery. But we are to be under the influence of the Spirit, the Spirit is to be continually filling us, okay? And so in the same way that you might not say things that you would normally say or do things that you would normally do, hopefully if you are drunk, in the same way, we are to be under con the control of the Spirit. And this isn't some sort of weird, like, out-of-body experience. In fact, I don't, I, <coughs> I, I'm, I, it, it frustrates me that I even have to mention this, but I'm going to mention it because it's unfortunately a, re a real thing. Um, in the church, but there are many, um, especially in some extreme charismatic circles, there, there's, they'll, they'll talk about being drunk in the Spirit, and they literally act like they're not in control. One of the fruits of the Spirit is self-control, folks. So if, you see, if you've ever seen any sort of nonsense going on where people are acting like they're like drunk in the Spirit and the Spirit's doing something, that's demonic. That's demonic, okay? And again, some of you are like, does that actually happen? Yeah, it does, and it's, and it's weird, but I'm sure many of you have seen that. And I want to be as clear as I can, that's ridiculous, and that is debauchery, okay? Um, but we are to be filled with the Spirit, and being under the control of the Spirit, here's what that looks like. It looks like we're encouraging one another. We're addressing one another. We're singing to one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Not only are we singing encouraging to one another, but we're singing and making melody to the Lord with our heart. That we're singing outwardly, we're singing upwardly, and in everything we're giving thanks for everything to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. And we're going to talk a lot more about submission over the next couple weeks. Um, 
But one of the marks of being under the Spirit's influence is, number one, you've got a song in your heart. And let me, let me get a little bit technical here, but this is really important, this idea of being filled with the Spirit, okay? As Christians, we are nowhere commanded to be baptized with the Spirit. Did you know that? The reason that is is because that baptism happened at the moment of your salvation. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 says that for by one Spirit we were all baptized into the body of Christ. The all there isn't every single human being on the face of the earth, but it's the baptism of the Spirit of God. He's speaking about all Christians. All Christians have received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And the tense there is that it's past tense and it's been done once, once for all. Okay, But this idea here, and this is a little bit technical, but this will make sense and this is really important. When he says to be filled with the Spirit, listen, it's in the passive voice, but it's in the present tense. You're like, what does that mean? Here's what that means. In the passive voice, it's the idea here of, like when he says, be filled with the Spirit, I think especially as Westerners, as Americans, we go, okay, what do I got to do? Tell me how to get her done, and I'll get her done. How do I be filled with the Spirit? It's the passive voice. That means, here's the idea, let the Spirit fill you. Let the Spirit fill you. Not what do you do, let the Spirit fill you. It's passive. He, he does it, but we're to, we're to continually seek it. And again, it's in the passive voice, but in the present tense. It would literally be, be being filled. So it's not just one time. It's over and over and over again. Every single moment of our lives, we are to live saying, Holy Spirit, fill me. Holy Spirit, fill me. Holy Spirit, I want to be under your influence. Knowing that we, 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 can't, we can't earn it, we can't make it happen. Now again, as we talked just last week, we talked about grieving the Holy Spirit. If you're walking in darkness, yeah, you're not going to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Okay? But we are to, moment by moment, passively submit to the Holy Spirit, obeying Him and whatever He might be leading us, leading us to do, and we are to have that attitude continually. It never stops. Submitted to the Holy Spirit. The idea here is that we would continually be letting the Holy Spirit fill us. Okay? This is the wisest thing that we could possibly do as Christians. Many times we think about wisdom. We might think about these deep riddles or proverbs or something. The wisest thing we can do is give the Spirit control of our lives. Amen? That's what it is. And guys, Jesus Christ purchased that privilege for us. That's why when he poured out his blood, he rose from the dead, and then he ascended on high. He said he would not leave us as orphans. He then on the day of Pentecost, he poured out the Holy Spirit. And in Peter's first sermon, he said of the Holy Spirit, the promise is for you and for all who would believe. There are not just some whom he wants to experience the fullness of the Holy Spirit. It is for every single person. Let him him fill you. Worship team, you can come up and we're going to close. The Holy Spirit in us, it is Christ in us, the hope of glory, as Paul says, as Paul says in Colossians. And also in Colossians, he talks about how it's in Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. It's all in him. As we close today, I just, just a couple of very 
very practical questions, okay? And again, the first one just being simply I would ask you, how's the Holy Spirit been speaking to your heart this morning through, through his word as we've been looking at it or this past week as you've been reading it? But the first question is just simply this, how, how have you been loving? Has your love been sacrificial like Christ's? Have you been loving in light of Christ's sacrifice? Do you think your life is a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God because of the way that you love? Have you been walking in light? Is there an area of your life that you've got a bunch of stuff hidden in the darkness? Again, it, guys, for me to, to talk about this in generalities, it does no good if you are sitting there this morning and you know about the darkness that you've got hidden and yet you're going to walk out those doors just clinging to it. The blood of Christ is enough. It's enough. Bring it into the light right now by faith, right now where you sit. Confess it to the Lord. Confess it to a brother or sister that you know loves you. Confess it to a family member and ask for prayer to walk in the light as God's children, as he intends. Are you walking in wisdom? Are you walking, seeking to be filled every day by the Spirit of God? What else are you, what else are you running after? Are you running after money? Are you running after reputation? Are you running after stuff? Are you running after pleasure? Are you running after all the things that the world says are wisdom? But it's not wisdom. Wisdom is to be filled with the Spirit of God every moment, letting Him have control of your life. Guys, this is what God wants for us as a church. This is what, this is what the world needs. If we are to, as a people, obey this command in verse 14, and I kind of skipped over this, but if you'll just look at it again, He says, therefore, it says, Awake, O sleeper! Arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. If you've got teenagers, memorize that verse. Rowan, it's time to get up. Uh, Rowan, it's time to get up. About the third time usually. You go down, you flip the light on. Awake, O sleeper! This is what God has called us to be as his people in the world. Not in an arrogant way. Again, we need all of these. We need to walk in love. We need to walk in wisdom. But it's like to be the light that he's called us to be. And if we're not appropriating these things to our lives, then we cannot with sincerity or any power or any actual influence say to the world, awake from the dead. Let Christ shine on you today. Guys, this is our high calling as his people, as his church, to call people out of darkness into his marvelous light. What could possibly be better, amen? What could possibly be better than to have this privilege? Father, we thank you for this morning. We love you. God, we pray that even right now as we stand one more time and as we sing, we pray that you would shine on us. We pray that we would stand, that we would confess, that we would humble ourselves. And that you would shine on us, that we could shine on others, and that you would shine on others through us, through our lives, not just individually, but as one people, as a church. We know that the days are evil, but Father, you are greater 
you are greater than all the evil going on in the world. Father, we, we, we love you. I just pray that you would do in us whatever it is you want to do this morning. Let us not walk out those doors unchanged. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.